We hate to break it to you, but the pandemic's not over yet. This week, we want to discuss some of the lasting lessons from the pandemic and what we're doing to prepare for the next new, new normal or whatever we're going to call it this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are revisiting Becky Mosser, RBT's favorite topic in the world, the COVID pandemic. But this week, we're going to talk about what's actually happening in the world right now as we enter into the latter half of 2022. What are we learning? What are we ditching? What are we going to carry forward with us? But before we talk about all of those things and a whole lot more, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you just can't escape it. It's still lingering around. I mean, I think a lot of us still kind of go into crowded spaces and go, ooh. You know, it's funny. I I like laugh when I think about how the conversation in the beginning, like when this happened in March 2019, we're like, or, or what, 2020? Yeah, March 2020. <laughs> we're like, this could be till summer. Like, they're right, literally right. talking about till summer. And here we are, two years later. And it, it is still residual. It is still lasting. And I do think we've all been changed it, 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 to our core regarding this. And yeah, when I was talking to you about this pre-show and, and kind of thinking about how we're dealing with this, I've had some drug reps tell me that they've got clinics who are still curbside. Um, I know most of the people I deal with, their clinics are open, but, you know, I feel residually changed. There was a time pre-COVID when, you know, the elevator doors opened up at the hotels in like Vegas or Orlando, right? And we're like, come on in, pile in, you know, right, everybody's sucking in, it's just a few seconds. You know, now it's like more than two or three people and you're like, I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to get off and I'll catch the next ride. Um, And I'm thinking about like our tiny exam rooms and our tiny x-ray rooms and like all of the things we have that are still keeping us very close in proximity that might no longer be acceptable by our our staff, ourselves, or our clients. And viewfinders, imagine, I mean, you know what I'm talking about next, and that is you're in the exam room, it's close quarters, and somebody coughs. I mean, oh, do you not yeah. just kind of go, uh-oh? Running <laughs> out of the room. Well, right, right. you're not right. even allowed to cough in public anymore, right? It's allergy right. season where you and I live. <laughs> you can hardly breathe. <laughs> but right, you immediately change the tone right, when, right. You, when you have any kind of body function. Yeah. And, and so again, viewfinders, these are those lasting effects that I think we want to explore today. And and again, we want to get into the pragmatics of it as well. But but I think just the imprint on our psyche, Becky, yeah. it's been, you know, this two and a half years or whatever now where we're kind of like on hypervigilant state where we're like, oh my gosh, you know, is that cough or sneeze going to be the thing that gets me? And, you know, viewfinders, I'm still having... And daily people saying, I just tested positive. So, I mean, it's still a big thing out there. And, uh, you know, Becky, again, let's let's dial it back because one of the things you mentioned is that some of the drug and distributor reps reporting, hey, I can't go see them. Let me ask you this. Do do you think it's because they're actually in curbside or are they just trying to limit exposure to people that might be traveling around to lots of different places? Well, 
in this case, it's curbside, right? The The deal is that they're still curbside, so she can't get inside the building to talk to anyone. They're still not letting people inside the building. Now, again, this could be just residual, like, dang, I like this. We right, can control right. it. It's quieter. We can get more done. Um, and until it's highly, you know, contested, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Or it could be office, you know, or a clinic manager or office or clinic owner, anybody in the clinic who's highly at risk, right? And says, listen, right. I have a newborn baby at home and I'm not letting anybody in here who doesn't need to be. Right. And I think too, you know, there's another element of this where like when you know someone travels around a bit, now this can be a geographically or just like within your city, somebody that's very active. I will tell you viewfinders, I'll be the first to admit, I and more cautious around those those people, right? And and so that 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 sounds terribly judgmental, Becky. But you know, I'm just thinking, gosh, you know, this person seems to be just going about their business like nobody's sick, and I'm I'm worried that they're going to bring something to me. I mean, am I just being super paranoid or? Or, no, or, I don't necessarily think you are because a, a lot of it is is we don't know. I think the funny thing is is this. Like when you're saying this kind of stuff, I'm thinking to myself, this is no different than how the flu and cold have always been. We just never cared so much because right. people around us weren't dying at a mass rate. Now, a lot of you guys know I lost a, a mentor and very close friend of mine several years ago to the flu at age 44. So to me, it was more impactful when I had I, I watched somebody actually die from from the flu. But we all watched people die from COVID. And so I think it altered. But the truth of the matter is, is all communicable diseases are, are work like COVID, right? We just are more aware of COVID. And so these are all things that, you know, it was like, oh, it's cold and flu season. And now everyone's getting sick in the clinic, right? And we never made these changes. I'm just thinking, like, with upcoming cold and flu seasons, how that's going to look, how that's going to affect. Will we change? Will we go back? Will we think about these things? Um, but you're right. Like, the people who are traveling around, and I and I hate to say this, but their immunity is probably higher. So now they're just, like, carriers, you know? Like, I, they're, they're just carrying it and not realizing they're sick. Well, the other thing, too, I want to talk to, to you guys about today is, is how has the client relationship changed, right? Because, like— historically, and, and for my 30 years of, of practice, it's been this one-on-one, -on -one, me communicating verbally and non-verbally in an exam room in an intimate fashion, right? I mean, you know, so it's all the classic, you know, this is a, a trusted form of communication. But suddenly we had a period of time, and for, for many clinics, this might have almost been a year, where suddenly that was a remote communication event, right? So now they're either outside and you're inside calling them out, or you're doing this virtually online or whatever, right? So we lost that intimacy. So Becky, here's my question, is do you think that a lot of clinics are going to kind of say, you know what, let's preserve as much of this remoteness as possible because it is more efficient. And quite frankly, many of them just enjoy it more than talking across the room to somebody. I mean, maybe potentially. Right. And I understand that. I'm just really worried because like our client education opportunities go right, down right. so quickly. And I'm not entirely sure it is more efficient. Um, although it might be. The other thing I think that is happening is everyone was so busy during the pandemic. We lost that personal touch anyway. And yeah. I think a lot of our clinics, our clients said, well, my vet can't see me for three weeks. And I think the loyalty is wrapped up in the time clock. You know, if, if yeah, I don't care point. how much I love my veterinarian, I love my pet more. And so if I can't get my vet to the, my vet, my pet to the vet in a reasonable amount of time, I'm looking for a new one. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important point, viewfinders, is the fact that as we have confronted workforce shortages, inefficiencies, curbside, all those other issues, we have created this, this dilemma for pet parents, right? I mean, it's like, I can't get in for a week or whatever, and that's just not good enough. And, and honestly, Becky, it's it's not good enough, right? No, I mean, it's right? it's many times these are sick pets or, and even if it's a minor ailment, I mean, you know, that can be emotionally charged for that pet parent. I mean, even if it's just uh, an otitis externa or allergic dermatitis, I mean, for many people, this is really frightening. So I, I do worry. The other thing too that, that I do worry about viewfinders is the fact that there was this period, an extended period of time where a lot of new vet techs, vet assistants, veterinarians entered the profession and they never developed those initial skills of how to talk to somebody, how to, how to, how to somehow, you know, diffuse uh, any type of conflict, right? I mean, they, they, they didn't have to. And so suddenly now, you know, they're going to be behind. And I think that if you're listening today and you're a manager or an owner, you really need to double down on your training efforts right now as, as far as personal communication skills, because Becky, I don't think they got it. Yeah, I mean it's a really good point and even if they did it's it's a new it's a new world, it's a new communication, right. it's a new time frame. Um you know, I I my new like soapbox is we don't consider distractions for our clients in the clinic and how distracting the environment is. Um you know, we think that they should be, you know, perfectly happy to sit there and listen to us talk and educate them. And retain everything, you know? So my new kick with this is every time I do a uh, lecture somewhere, I go back and pull an element from my bio. And I'm like, you know, where do I live or where did I work or where did I graduate from? And like very, like sometimes one or two people out of the whole audience can answer. And I'm like, but I right. told you it was important. I told you. So I'm not entirely sure that we are not thinking about how COVID has become a distraction, how yeah. The fact that you are so close could be incredibly distracting. The fact that they might not want to sit in the chair could be distracting. Good are point. we, are, you know, once we let them in the clinic, did we disclose how we are keeping the clinic clean? You know, when I go to a hotel, there's a whole list of, you know, what they yeah. do, the remote's still in a baggie, you know, all that stuff. And and I, I'm guessing it always will be from now on because it mattered before COVID. Yeah. We all knew the remote was the grossest thing in the hotel room before COVID. <laughs> right. They just decided to put it in a baggie because of COVID. So. Right. How are we stepping back and say, like, and I think I know, sorry, I know it's chasing cats with me sometimes, but it's like, we we don't stop and say there is no more normal as we knew it. So what does our new normal, like you said, look like? And how do we make everybody comfortable and exist in it? We can't just like turn back the clock, go back pre-COVID and just start functioning and running and operating things the way that we did. And if we do, God help us when this next round comes, because there's going to be something new. There's going to be something different. This is this is how we are going to live from now on. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And viewfinders, just hotel hygiene tip. Uh, yeah, I only put the remote in like a, a bath cloth or something because <laughs> I'm like, Becky, I'm kind of grossed out. But getting back to this, you're right. I mean, even Delta, which is is the, the airline I fly, you know, they send me a text message saying, you know, your flight is on time and it has been professionally cleaned and disinfected and they go, they give you a whole thing of what they've done. And so yeah. it's just to reassure you that, hey, we're doing everything we can. But let's get back to this. I, I love the, the concept of, okay, maybe it's a distraction just to be in close proximity. One of the things that I, during the early COVID times when people were just starting to to let clinic or clients back in. You remember some 
some states would allow you and you know, like you have six people in the building and stuff like yeah. that. So I had worked with a, a clinic and I said, look, you know, one of the things you can do is, is just have people wait outside and then text them. And I think that one of the lessons that we might learn here is that if people don't want to wait in our lobbies like they used to, you probably should have some kind of, you know, like the restaurant buzzers, right? To say, yeah. okay, we're ready for you now or whatever. That way they can wait outside. They can walk their dog around or whatever. I mean, again, as it's safe and appropriate in your clinic setting. But I mean, I think those are the kind of, of tools and, and I would say tactics that are probably going to make people more comfortable. Uh, and I do, I agree with you, Becky, 100%. We need to do a better job at just in general educating the the community of what we're doing to keep it, it safe and clean. Because, you know, and a lot of you are probably going, I, nobody cares. Nobody pays attention to that stuff. Well, I just recollected that Delta sends me a, a text when my flight is on time or whatever, right? So, and Becky's talking about the hotel. So I think they do make an impression. And, and Becky, what I think is it's going to be an expectation moving forward, right? I mean, even when you go to restaurants, yeah. which I've only been to a couple since this, since the, you know, we've started back traveling and so forth. But I've been really impressed with like, they've had a, something in the menu or something talking about their safeguards. And so I think that's that expectation is something we also have to recognize. I think if you think no one cares, you didn't lose anybody or you don't have anybody Ooh, who can't yeah. get vaccinated. You're not holding a tiny baby. You know, you're not looking at your beautiful amazing little nieces who are too young for vaccines and worrying and wishing you could put them in a tiny bubble. Um you didn't watch anybody lay in a bed in an ICU unit and say goodbye to their family without the ability to breathe on an iPad. Because that's the reality of what happened. And if you are kidding yourself, please, a half a million, more than a half a million, 600,000, more than a half a million people died. So yeah. if you think people don't care, I recommend counseling, right, right. <laughs> as I do, well, because you are absolutely immune to. I'm very worried about you if you think people don't care. <laughs> well, and, and and again, it you also have to put yourself in everybody else's shoes. So even yeah. if you personally haven't experienced any of the things that Becky just described, you don't know what that client's perception is and what their experience has been. So again, no matter what you say, uh, you know. The, it's going to be shaped by their own own world experience. Okay, so let's yeah. get back to one other thing too, Becky, and that is the impact on our staff. You know, so so again, now everybody, you know, we we kind of have lived in this sort of almost familial tribal type of existence where you know you're super close with your besties at the clinic, and you got a work wife, a work husband, whatever all those things are. And so suddenly now, do you think that this pandemic has reshaped those relationships, Becky, and the way we interact in the clinic? I don't know. That I don't know. And I think it'll depend on clinic size, personal beliefs, geographic locations, things like that. I think in general, we have a riveting political environment as it is that could potentially be shaking some relationships as it is. Um, and if you have, you know, like-minded folks, it's, you know, it's, if it's not shaking your relationship, then you're probably like-minded, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah, good point. Good as point. politely as possible. So, um, but... Yes, I think when we don't have the same points of view, you guys know motorcycle, motorcycle association, <laughs> lots of people with different points of view than me. I go places and they make fun of people for wearing masks. I go places and they say things that are not things that I agree with. And I, and I absolutely stand up for my own beliefs and I do my own personal education. But there are literally people out there who don't believe in any of this and who think that these are stupid accommodations and that this is all I can't, yeah. I don't even have the words because yeah. it's so crazy to me. But yes, that's going to happen within your clinic, I think, because 
and I don't even I don't even know that I have advice for that because it literally I don't know I don't know how to deal with people who don't believe in it uh, other than to say as management we make our rules we explain why they are we listen to input but I think we have to make the decisions that we can make based on what we know based on science as opposed to personal beliefs. But I think that that aspect, what you just brought up, is the most polarizing element of all of this because there's a chance that your clinic owner doesn't believe in any of this. There's a yeah. chance that your clinic manager doesn't believe in any of this. And, and you're praying that they're going to give you the protection that you need. So I think that element is polarizing. And a lot of what I, I avoid talking about at all because I don't understand it enough to argue both sides. I literally have one side and one side only to argue. Uh, as hard as I try to see all sides, this is one I can't. Well, so, and, and we're medical practitioners, so we, we yeah. like evidence. And, and, and again, I, you know, if you find there's the only reason I mention that is not, you know, I didn't, don't want to trigger anyone or anything or upset people. But the reality is, you know, this was one of those times in history when your attitudes and beliefs were exposed yeah. to a large extent. And so this is these fractures that could develop within your clinic. That's, that's kind of where I was going with this, this intimacy, this like, Hey, your work bestie. And then suddenly maybe during the pandemic, you learned things about your work bestie that you didn't quite fully understand. And now you're kind of going, okay, is this the you same the relationship? Divorce, and then there's work custody. <laughs> and <there's> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is, it, it's true. I mean, you're joking, yeah. but it's actually true. There Super is work true. divorce. And so, you know, I, I think again, viewfinders, I don't have an answer either, but I think these are things that aren't being talked about and we want to talk about it and we want to see if there's, you know, something we can do to help. So I think at this point, you know, if, if, if you were, let's say that suddenly during your, this time, your team was divided, right? So half the people were anti-vaxxers and half were, you know, vaccines or whatever. I would really start to try to do some more team building exercises, you know, uh, and I know just there are some of the, 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 People might not say, I want to go close to yeah. each other or whatever, but but I think you really should double down. Once again, I, we mentioned client communication issues and, and training and skills, but I think also team building post-pandemic, I think Becky is going to be very, very important for, for us to sustain. Yeah. And I mean, it may even, there are veterinary social workers out there. It may involve going high level with professionals to help with these yeah. conversations. You right. know, I mean, escape rooms are great, but if you are really and truly facing serious controversy issues that, you know, a while ago, you would have just fired somebody. Like, you would have just said, well, this is stupid. I'm yeah. not dealing with it anymore. But now you can't. You don't have enough people. Right. Um, It has to be a different. It has to be different. And I think to pony on that, we always say, have these conversations because you may have people in your clinic who are living in fear or discomfort and not saying anything. So you might think everybody's doing okay. And they really aren't. And that's part of what leads to the exodus. Well, I had three people quit. I never saw it coming. Well, it's because you didn't ask because they're not going to come to you and say, well, the whole world has made accommodations, but we can't seem to. And so therefore, I'm going to go find somewhere that can. Um, so I think that that's another thing that we're seeing is folks who don't feel comfortable making themselves comfortable. And um, I think that that's where the conversations need to come in. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot, viewfinders, over the past several years. And that, you know, I call them check-ins. These are just yeah. informal sit-downs privately, you know, where you just pull somebody in and just chit-chat, see if you can get them to open up. And And like Becky says, you may discover that there's some little problems simmering under the surface that they don't feel quite comfortable bringing it to your attention. But if you ask them, they're more than willing to at least go there a little bit. And then, of course, it's your job as a leader to, to take them further. Yeah, but like even in this case, go a little bit further with just like a check-in. Whereas 
I'm very specifically asking you how comfortable and safe do you feel in this environment? Good point. You know, like, Good can point. we really and truly, like, I I'm, I don't care that, you know, the refrigerator hasn't been cleaned out in a long time and you're sick of the smell of tuna. Like, that, you right. know, that's a different conversation. But should we really drill down and have this conversation about how did COVID affect you personally that I don't know about? Mm, how are you like feeling it. about it right now? How do you feel in this environment? And to have really true, genuine, you know, wall-breaking conversations of, Maybe I don't know your neighbor died. Maybe I don't know right. your best friend's husband died um, because you don't talk about it at work. It's not, you know, we didn't have time to catch up on it or whatever. Or I didn't know anybody that died, but I just spent 18 months living in fear and I'm exhausted. I don't know. But like, let's have yeah. real conversations specific to COVID. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Becky. I mean, I think that that is the best approach. It's just open communication lines. And, and Becky, this is the part that frustrates me the most, uh, you know. Because every time I lecture, you lecture, every time I go into a clinic, whatever, you know, you you, you know, people know that they should do this, but yeah. they just don't. I mean, it's like almost everything else in life. It's like, you know what's good for you, but you just choose the bad stuff. So. Well, I think if you have a conversation, I think we don't want to ask about problems we can't fix, right? Like, I don't yeah, want right. you to tell me you're unhappy and I can't do anything about it because then it seems like you don't care. So I think sometimes there's this don't ask, don't tell mentality of like, well, it can't be bothering them that much because they haven't said anything. And uh, to me, the scariest thing is an employee who's not saying anything right. because like I said, they're looking for another job. They're they're talking just not to you. So I think sometimes we avoid these conversations because we don't think we have realistic changeability. Um, and I think that really, if we're clear with our employees and say, I might not be able to do anything about it, but if I don't know, then I can't even attempt it. it and have the understanding that, that I'm not here to have a fix-it conversation, but I'm here to have a check-in, where are you? And if you're not where you want to be, is there anything I can do to help you get that way? Um, is the important part. But like, I don't think we should just give up on it if we feel like we can't fix everything. Right. And, and viewfinders, we had this exact conversation with you guys a couple of weeks back. We were talking about, hey, don't think that every time you have a conversation or ask a question of an employee that they expect you to be able to solve all their problems, yeah. right? We were talking about the inflation episode where we were saying, you know, hey, how's gas money? And, and I think that, like we said in that episode, we said, hey, a lot of managers and owners are reticent to take on this conversation because they go, well, I can't pay for all your gas. But yeah. sometimes that's not the point. Sometimes it's just knowing that you care and are concerned. And even if you can do some small gesture, I think it's great. We, I know, Becky, you said that we had uh, an email from one of our listeners who said, you know, hey, after listening to your uh, podcast, we gave everybody, you know, a little gas card or whatever, right? It was just a simple gesture, but it probably helped. Yeah. So Nicole, um, I worked with her years ago um, at a different through a different organization, but she currently works um, in Las Vegas. She has a team at Animal Kingdom Veterinary Hospital in Las Vegas. And Nicole would listen to the episode and said, you know, I went out and I bought small gas cards for everybody. And, um, you know, I, I just gave them a little bit of what I could. And I was so proud of her for that because it was just a little something. And I am I would imagine it went a really long way with her team. But yeah, it, it, just that little tip, she took it and ran with it. And I was so proud to hear that. Yeah. And, and finally, you know, viewfinders, I think that so post pandemic and this new world, uh, we do, we're going to have to lean more into virtual tools, right? So like, for example, you, you know, I mean, I don't know how many years we did this. I mean, 
email them the client registration form beforehand. Yeah. Email them the form, you know, the patient, uh, you know, history form, right? I mean, they can do all this at home and they'll do it more thoroughly and then they can send it to you and you don't have to waste a lot of time in that environment, right? This, inc- this just increases efficiency. I mean, this is an old, old tip, but there's no reason you can't do it, right? I mean, so I think that we really do need to get a little more creative and a little more open-minded to how could we use some of these digital communication tools to, to better educate our, our clients. I mean, yeah. And I think just getting more comfortable being uncomfortable and getting comfortable saying there is no normal that existed prior to and clinging to normal right. is not the goal. Right. So it's like being flexible. When when COVID first started, we were talking about it every week, much to my dismay. The biggest <laughs> thing we said was you've got to remain flexible because things are changing like crazy. And I think that that just stands today. It's like you just you got to remain flexible. Things are still changing. And like you said at the top of this, this isn't over. People are just not dying at the rate. In fact, I, I just heard, I want to say a month ago, an ICU nurse celebrating the fact that she since 2019 finally had zero COVID patients in her ICU ward. Um, and that was like a month or two ago. And so like right up into that point, still losing people in ICU on a regular basis. Like you said, weekly, I hear somebody, I have a, I have a, one of my employees right now is diagnosed with COVID. Uh, his wife got COVID and, you know, yeah, it, they're yeah. fine. They're perfectly fine, but they have COVID. So still a thing. It's not going away. And, you know, we we two years ago, we're saying you've got to be flexible. You got to remain flexible. You got to have conversations. And I guess what we're saying is like the dust has not settled yet. We're just still we're just more comfortable in a dust storm. Um, and we now have the equipment we need not to be blinded and out of air. So let's take our new equipment. Let's get comfortable in our dust storm and let's check in with those around us and still do a really good job. But not just like wait for everything to go the way it was to go back to doing what we were. Wow, that is brilliant. And, and you know, again, I think viewfinders, we got to remember like there are millions of people still like my mother who has a chronic respiratory disorder, who's very frail and and ill and is desperately waiting for some surgery right now. And I mean, all the doctors, I mean, all of our surgery surgery team is like, you know, what you can't do right now is get COVID (laughs) (laughs) because A, A, then you can't do your surgery, but B, you could die. So there's still a lot of that out there. And and I know I was talking to a friend and they were like, Becky, you know, they were telling me, they're like, well, this is now, it's it's such a subvariant. It's so mild or whatever. And I'm going, it might be mild to you as a young, healthy adult, but it could still be deadly to someone like my mother. And that's just the truth. Right. Well, and again, like I said, the flu was years ago when I lost a perfectly healthy friend at 44. We just didn't take it the same way. Um, The idea that because we're not severely affected, we're not concerned has got to change. And that's just part of humanity. Um, We have to understand that just because we're not personally touched does not mean it is not incredibly important. Wow. Love that. Well, viewfinders, what do you think about, you know, how has your life changed after the pandemic? Well, we're not after, but you know what I'm saying or trying to say, (laughs) what are you doing in your clinic? Have you stuck with some of the practices that you did during curbside? Are you still curbside? Are you a hybrid curbside? I'd really like to hear what's going on in your world. So you can reach us on any of our social media at veterinary viewfinder at vet viewfinder, but more importantly, you can email us at veterinary viewfinder at gmail.com because Becky seriously likes to interact with you via email and Facebook. I actually really do love to hear from you guys. Um, Keep in mind, like, we don't get paid for this. We do this for fun. (laughs) We do this for you. So when you take a second and say, hey, this meant a lot, you have no idea how much that means to us. Um, We're doing this to try to help our profession. So if you get a second, just run to wherever you're listening to this podcast 
smash those stars and leave a little comment. Um, We really appreciate your time. We really do. And guys, thanks again for listening. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.